0: Untitled Podcast is a part of the Kansas Google Education Group Network and also the MACE Kansas Network. You can find more information about episodes and guests at www.untitledpc.net. Welcome to Untitled Podcast. My name is Travis True.
1: And I'm Carol Nelson.
0: Welcome to this episode of the podcast. We've got two guests with us today. Ryan Stevens is a middle school educator with more than a decade of experience in public schools as a social studies teacher. He is a graduate of Kansas State University with a bachelor's degree in secondary education and Emporia State University with a master's in history. He began his teaching career in 2005 at the high school level before leaving for Turner Middle School in Kansas City, Kansas in 2007. He spent 11 years at TMS, the majority of the time teaching eighth grade United States history. During those 11 years he served as the building improvement chair, professional development council representative, and social studies department chair. In 2013 he was selected as the Abraham Lincoln fellow by the Horace Mann Corporation. Beginning in 2018 he joined the staff at Summit Trail Middle School in Olathe, Kansas, continuing to teach eighth grade United States history.
1: And then we also have Jordan Billings. Jordan has been a social social studies teacher for 14 years. He went to Emporia State University where he was earned a bachelor's degree in social sciences and speech and theater education as well as a master's in American history. He began his teaching career in 2016 at the high school level before leaving for a position in higher education. He spent six years as a professor for the University of Phoenix, the majority of the time teaching United States history. During that time, he also served as the history and humanities area chair for the Midwest region. And in 2012, he joined the faculty of Indian trail Middle School, where he currently serves as the co-department chair for the Social Studies Department. In 2019, he received an Outstanding Educator Award from Ottawa University. Welcome, gentlemen. It's good to have you with us.
0: Yes, welcome. To Glad to be I'm, here. I'm excited to talk about gamification in the classroom with you guys. Um, I've been in on some sessions, and gamification is one of those things I'm really interested in, and I know um you know, it's not too many people do it, but they kind of, you know, I get questions about it. And so the interest is out there. So um, we're excited to, to talk with two, two regional experts on gamification in the, in the classroom. So uh, welcome again.
1: And just share with us a little bit about how you ended up, where you are. How did you end up in gamification and and really kind of probably what brought you two together? Because you've done a lot together with this.
2: Yes, we have. Ryan, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I can go first.
3: Uh, so uh, what brought me to it is actually the very rare situation where I spent, I had two student teachers back-to-back years and um, happened to be just outstanding student teachers, uh, through UMKC. And they just, they, they rocked it. I mean, by second semester, they were rolling with the class. They didn't need me there. And unfortunately, as, as we all know, things kind of, have already kind of by spring been set up and building. So I didn't have a whole lot to do and you can only observe the same classes over and over again so many times. So I started picking up books and one of them I picked up was explore like a pirate by Michael Matera. And I just started reading it and I was like, wow, that's what I want my class to be. And um, I started just diving deep into that. And so this is now year four
2: of uh, gamification for me. And for me, uh, I actually started, I had a colleague that knew that I'm a, a pretty big gamer myself, either video games or board games. And I had a colleague that mentioned that there was this thing called Classcraft where you could turn your characters or your students into characters. And I was really kind of excited by that because I'd played World of Warcraft. And so that was kind of like how I sort of dipped my toe in, but it was one of those, I didn't know how deep the world could go. And so through Classcraft, I met um, another educator, Jason House, who's a amazing educator from Canada. And I saw what he was doing in the classroom and I was like, oh man, how can I get to your level? What can I do? And he was like, you need to check out Explore Like a Pirate by Michael Matera. And so I got the book. And then that was sort of how my gamified world sort of blew up a a little bit more. And this is going to be year three for my current game system.
3: And I will say like the the two of us, uh, I was teaching in a different district at the time and we didn't know each other at all. And we actually met up through Twitter through the hashtag XP chats on Tuesdays. And we just got to talking and we realized, wait, we both teach in Kansas and uh, how are we not like communicating more? And then when I ended up moving uh, districts down to Olathe, it was like Jordan was like, one of the first people to reach out and said, we've got to like meet
2: up now. I was like, that was it. The fates have now aligned and now we need to connect.
0: So explain to somebody Maybe they they don't know the concept. They don't know gamification. They hear gamification. They think of just playing games and explain to them what, what gamifying your classroom means, or I guess even if you want to kind of explain how it works in your classroom
3: yeah, it's so I kind of view it as as there's two different things. What you're talking about with just playing games is very much games based learning and and there's so much value in that. We know that that's that's jeopardy games. that's you know who wants to be a millionaire, any game you can imagine for review. We know there's power there. Um, gamification basically is just this layer over your content where you take all of the awesome stuff you're doing already and you're just saying, how can I make it an immersive experience? How can I turn this into something where there is both collaboration and competition uh, in a way that will uh, empower kids to kind of own that learning? And, and that's really where it takes off for me. And that's kind of how I see it. So, um, you know, I, I'll let Jordan kind of go with his explanation, and then we can maybe bounce back and forth.
2: <laughs> See, and that's what I mean. Gamification, again, it's not changing your content. I think a lot of people, when they look at gamification, they're like, so you sit there and you play games all the time. Not necessarily. Our, our content doesn't change. It's kind of the approach. And I've, I would think about like the subway approach. Hang with me there. So what that would mean is think about when you get those cards from subway that says that, you know, if you get 11 subs, you get the 12th for free. You're not doing anything different. They've just given you a system that kind of motivates you to kind of keep coming back and whatnot. And that's a kind of real world example of what gamification can be. You're not changing your content. You're just packaging it in a little bit of a different way. And I know Ryan's kind of talking about game-based learning, and that would be one of the classic examples I know that we all know, which is the Oregon Trail game that we all played as kids. That's the, you know, you're on the computer and you are, you are learning about the Oregon Trail through the game. And that's kind of a little bit different. And I know that Ruth Ryan and I use game-based learning as well, but that's not necessarily the entire system. Gamification is the entire system and game-based learning is a piece of it.
3: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, I mean, if you want to kind of know how it works in my class, it's, um, it's, it's very much thematic, you know, as always, the theme can be more expanded and I, and I need to do more of that. I know, but Mine is a, is a very much an Indiana Jones style theme. And it, it takes that character and places kids in, in an adventure through time where we have to recover lost artifacts from the past and set the timeline back the way it's supposed to be. And we explore deep concepts. We do a lot of uh, creative uh, projects and those types of things. And all along the way, students are earning experience points, items and badges for their exceptional work. Uh, there's a wall of fame, uh, In my classroom there's a leaderboard uh, for everything that's as you're uh, moving up and down there's a class leaderboard uh, there's a group leaderboard there's an individual leaderboard and so we check those once a week Uh, when we're in person we hand out items and badges and we celebrate all of those accomplishments and items unlock certain powers and abilities that affect other players affect other groups and sometimes just affect you and all of those different elements combine to create kids kind of motivation. And I think the best way I can describe it is from a quote from one of my students from two years ago. Um, they were, this this student, by the way, just absolutely has blown away all my records. Um, and I don't think they'll ever be touched, but they, uh, they were sitting in my class and they said, I started doing the side quests, which are not for a grade because I was done with all my work and I wanted something to do. When I realized it could move me up the leaderboard, the next words out of their mouth were, um, I'm not a sports person, but I can win at social studies. And that right there was everything. I mean, just they, they did amazing things simply for the joy of learning it. And yes, there is this extrinsic motivation of being at the top of the leaderboard, but you don't get a prize at the end. There's no pizza party or anything. You get your picture taken in Indy's hat, jacket, and satchel, and your picture goes on my wall. And that's the reward. That's it.
2: And yet that in and of itself is this amazingly powerful reward that you can get into. So for my classroom, um, again, it is very based on theme. If you're really looking at a way to start into gamification, picking a theme is, is definitely your first step. Very important. Uh, so my classroom operates on a Marvel theme. So they're agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And they go through and they're... Um, so I have two classes that I do. I do World Geography and then I do Kansas History. So, they, uh, so they'll start by um, their geographers. They're studying the world. They're um, encountering different uh, Hydra agents that they have to defeat in the field. And how they do that, instead of doing tests, we do things called boss battles. So they will have little skirmish events where they will fight um, the Winter Soldier. They'll fight the Red Skull. They, they will go up against these Marvel villains and they're answering. It's the same test, but they're going through, and there's the kind of picture of you know whichever villain on the board goes through. And kids get really fired up about that kind of stuff. And so I have the same thing where I have a, a leaderboard that kids work through and move. And right now, my I think my first and second place they are flip flopping, mm-hmm. and they are like they are constantly asking me like What can I do to be on top? What can I do to be on top? And so it's these things, and Ryan kind of mentioned them, it's these side missions, these side quests that are things that we would love. We know that there's not enough time in class to give kids everything. So those become little side missions and things. Why don't you research this section of history? Why don't you look at this geographic uh, concept that I don't have time to in class, but those kids now can take a look at that, do a project, and that gets to move them Uh, up in the leaderboard. And just like in Ryan's, uh, my students earn badges for every unit. And um, I kind of have some meta badges that they get to work for. And if they earn enough, they can um, get to level 15. And their level 15 for me is a Avenger status and they can earn an Avengers badge. And they get to go on my wall, that is the shield wall of valor. So they get a shield star. If they get um, a certain GPA, they get a rare shield star. And if they get into the highest amount, they get their picture taken with the shield logo in the background and they get to pick a code name. And that code name is forever locked. So I know that there are some folks that are gonna be a little upset that people like Spider-Man have already been taken on the leaderboard and there can only be one Spider-Man. And so kids get really excited about, they love doing code names because they put those in for games anyway. And so a lot of them are like, oh, my gamer handle is this awesome. That's going up on my board. It will stay up on my wall for now until the end of time. So kids can come back. And it's amazing to watch kids come back and look at their picture and whatever and be like, look, there's me. I'm on the wall. That's my shield star. And that is my code name, Spider-Man. And I actually, I will say that uh, the person that did take that, I actually let them come in their Spider-Man outfit. So they are dressed as Spider-Man with, with the, with the web shooters out ready to go. And it has, it has her up there and she was a amazing student and an amazing agent of shield for sure.
0: So what is it about this, about your system or the system? Cause you, you guys run a fairly similar system. It sounds like, Oh yeah. what is it that gets these kids so fired up and engaged that, they want to do the, they want to do these side quests, it's stuff they don't
2: have to do, but but they want to do it. So some of them um, have to do like, so, you know, the, the theme of Marvel uh, kids know, and they love Marvel as they're going through. And, you know, they always are asking to, you know, when do we get a battle Thanos? And I was like, when did all the Marvel people battle Thanos? It's at the end of the year, you have to build up your character. And so, since the kids have a connection to that universe, a lot of times when you are offering things like side missions, it's saying uh, one of them, they had to hunt down for North America. They had to hunt down the winter soldier. And if they found him using the series of clues, they actually got a rare Bucky Barnes card that you could only get if you had solved that mystery. It's a gold rare card that only those people can get. So you have a little bit of exclusivity and you have things that kids can show off and take pride in their accomplishments. And I would say that's one of the biggest things: being able to show off and say, "Hey, I have earned this badge for this unit." You know, I I've done all these extra O eight fours. I have these rare cards that nobody else or a very limited amount of people can have on top of the leaderboard. It gives them prestige and it gives them a right to to you know, own their accomplishments. And I think that that's probably a bigger thing. And I I want Ryan to talk about his because like with, with his game, I know that he talks about Indiana Jones because obviously with Marvel movies, they've come out a little bit more recently. But, like kids still really get into his game as well, so all right, that's a build up Ryan go <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going to hope I can live up to that hype. but I mean, honestly it
3: that that's that's the it is a lot of it is selling it. I mean, it just like anything else we do um, in the classroom, you've got to sell it there, there's got to be a hook in there and and for me, um, I set up this whole adventure hook, but honestly, there are days I show up as Indiana Jones in, in class and Strangely enough, Indy looks a lot like me now it's It's amazing how that happens. um you know he he's lost some hair you know he he's got a beard now and everything like that, and he's wearing glasses. but it works, and when you 're in that character and embody that character it it helps sell it to the kids um. I always tell people who are worried about gamification, like, oh, I can't sell that. I, I can't get hooked on it. Listen, if you're passionate about it, they will be too. If I can get 13 and 14-year-olds hooked on a storyline about a character from movies that were from before they were born, they can they can absolutely do it on anything you, you want. Um, just actually right now, I've got a group in my uh, class that... There's three of them who are, um, two of them, I think, are second and third, and they're way behind first place. And first place person is just like really taken off right now. Um, but they've started to figure out that, wait a minute, if we can get to level, one of us gets to level four, then all three of us can work together on every assignment the rest of the year. And because of that, we'll be able to really maximize our time and our creativity. And we'll be able to really move up the leaderboard altogether. And I didn't do anything about it. Like I just was like, yeah, that's true. I mean, they figured it out. And I think what hooks kids into it is it's something that they know. They they know what games are. They know um, how those work. Uh, But I think also the biggest thing about gamification that helps to really sell it is this idea of a – there's a reset button. And that is that there's an unlimited number of redos in my class. They know they get a chance to do it over again. And if you think about with games – How many times do we watch kids play the same level over and over again to get perfect stars on it? Well, if our assignments were those levels, we'd want kids to do the same thing, keep trying over and over again until they master it. The fact that we give them an avenue to do it and that there is some kind of reward at the end of it, even if it's essentially meaningless to us, it means something to them. Maybe it's being able to use a special place in the room to to work. Maybe it's being able to listen to music while they work. Maybe it's being able to have a snack in class while they work. Um, maybe it's being able to have first choice of a partner on an assignment. Whatever it is might be essentially meaningless to us, but it means something to them. And if it means something to them, they will do amazing, amazing things for it. It's just a matter of tapping into it. And I think it goes back to what is the essence of good pedagogy, which is know your
2: kids, build those relationships and know your kids, and you will find ways to hook them into a game. And, you know, one of the things I think that he just kind of hit on is that it's amazing how important it is to have student ownership in this. So it's not just from us. So like, you know, Ryan will come in dressed as Indiana Jones and I have a Captain America outfit as well as a Doctor Strange outfit that, um, that I debut as well. Um, but also like letting kids know that they can be involved in the game. And both of us have had times that uh, we've had kids tell us different things about the games and saying, Oh, you know, it'd be really cool if something like this would happen. So like one of the things that developed, I had no idea that this would be a thing. Um, But part of one of the comic books for agents of shield was this concept called the secret warriors, which is a shield initiative that is a like superhuman run group. It's supposed to be this like best of the best group. And I had a group of kids that came to me and have, and basically started this initiative. So I have a section on my website that honors the secret warriors. I have nothing to do with it. It is a student led group invite from student to student. So they will go through my class. And then in their eighth grade year, um, they will, um, look at like different, like projects and things that kids have done, not grades and whatever, but like the projects or look at kids that have, um, like really wanted to solve these mysteries and gone after stuff and whatnot. And if they think those people are worthy, they basically tap them into this secret warriors initiative. And that means that like, there's this section of the game that students again, have this ownership that even I don't really have a lot of ownership of, like I help them a little bit, but like, I don't pick kids to do that. It's, it's, it's a, their club within this game.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a kind of a, a similar story about things that happened uh, last year as I was handing out item cards, you know, all of my items, there's a, there's a certain level you have to be at to use them. Well, I don't have a currency in my game. You don't buy them. You just earn them through your uh, items, through your work. I had kids who said, wait a minute, we want to be able to trade items. Cause like, I've got a bunch of these, but I really don't need it. And I could really use one of those. So they invented the currency. They just determined that one level five item is worth five level one items. And they created the currency and started trading them outside of my classroom, came to me and said, can I exchange this with you now? And I said, well, I didn't say you couldn't. And that's actually a really cool idea. So, yes. Um, And so it became that and it and it grows organically. And that's the that's when you know you've got kids on it is when they want to make the game better. It's incredible what they'll do.
0: Have you have you had the same theme since you started or has
2: your theme changed? I will say mine changed. Um, cause I said, I started off with a uh, class craft and that was a very medieval feel. And I, I attempted to build my own world. I actually went through and created guilds that had different histories and, um, uh, different Latin phrases and things. I made crests of arms for all of them to try to sort of connect that way. Um, and then I, I, I found that for, for me, the, um, the labor was a little bit more intensive than I originally kind of wanted. And, um, and so as time went on, I, I just was kind of looking at different things and then I sort of realized that I wanted to retheme and I rethemed in the middle of the year. So I actually went through three quarters of doing this medieval theme. And then as they came back fourth quarter, um i literally destroyed the world. I blew it up. And do you know who blew up the world? Thanos. <laughs> and so then they went after Thanos. And so from and and I was noticing that my level of engagement was so much higher and then I had kids that were asking different stuff and and wanting to have more different things asking when when are we going to fight this person? When is this part going to happen? And so I realized that, that that was the theme that I really wanted to, if I was going to really build it, I was going to do that because the kids had the connection to it. And that was kind of the direction I wanted to go. But, um, but yeah, so my theme actually changed and it changed mid year.
3: And I, for the most part have maintained the Indiana, I will say there's been a few like tweaks I've made. Um, there's elements that I've brought in uh, where they're, Classes are are named as camps after certain people involved with the National Park Service to try and tie in a little bit of U.S. history with it. Um, there's I, I was very much tied to the Indiana Jones canon for the first couple of years, and then I've started branching out, creating my own kind of villains and and unique storylines for that. Um, but as far as like the, the history of the camps, I, I mean, I have journals where I keep track of who finished in the top 30 in each uh, camp each year, how the camp finished overall. And then one of the very first side quests kids can find is what we call camp honors, where they write the story of who the person the camp is named after, but then also the history of the camp. And so over time I get a few of those every year and it builds the history uh, through the kids and their writing and their stories of, of what happened. Um, and they can see uh, how the past adventures have done and, all of that. So I think that, that creates kind of that powerfulness to it.
1: Well, as a teacher, you know, I'm think, I can see listeners getting excited, you know, mm-hmm. it, you hear student engagement, and but I can also te- see teachers just going, oh my gosh, badges, cards, all these things. How do I get started? What would you, how would you encourage them to start? What would be kind of the the starting point for someone that just hasn't done this at all?
3: My biggest thing is, and it's hard for me to say this, cause I was, I am a like, can't I'm a Tara Martin cannonball in kind of person. Like I jumped in feet first and I was all Same. over the place um, with it. My first year, it was very haphazard and scattershot and it took time to kind of pare it down. And even now it's still always in beta test, but my best advice would be pick the unit or the lesson that you hate to teach. The one that you cannot get excited about in any way. Uh, when I taught government to high school seniors, it was um, state and local government. I hated teaching it. If I had to go back, that would be the one I'd say, all right, what are we going to do about this? It's going to make this some kind of competitive collaboration. What's a theme that I can tie into really quickly. Maybe doesn't have a full storyline yet but has something that I can uh, build off of and kind of let kids in on. And that's where I would start. And then from there, you'll start to figure out, okay, I'm passionate about this. Maybe it's Harry Potter, maybe it's star Wars or star Trek, whatever it is. And you'll start to build things out and have these kind of worlds. And that's kind of the biggest thing. And I'll, I'll let Jordan kind of take the, the pop culture uh, run on this. Cause he knows all about this. He's, he's the pop
2: culture guy. And, you know, I, I would say that too. I, I love the idea of when you're taking something that you don't necessarily like and then you pour a little bit extra into it, I think sometimes you actually find like, hey, that's, that's something I actually can kind of look forward to and enjoy. But I, I love the idea of finding a, a theme of something that, that you yourself enjoy. So if you are a Harry Potter fan, um, I know that my partner, she is starting a Harry Potter themed game this year and she's been working with it. Um, we've seen, I've seen amazing Star Wars games, and, and and all of that. And so, I say I, I would agree with Ryan. You want to start small and kind of build in a couple of your game mechanics. I think about like Super Mario Brothers from for those of us that were rocking things back in the mm-hmm. in the eighties and things like that. Um, the design of that game is very masterful in the way of when you're going through the first levels, you know, you're really just like kind of running and jumping, but there's not a lot of kind of danger. A lot of it's just kind of like I'm learning how to run and jump and do the things. And then the next time they're like, oh, there's a pit, but there's like a little stand there so I could kind of practice jumping so I could practice over the pit. And then they remove the safety. And it's that scaffolding process that I, I think helps teachers a lot to even just say like, maybe I'm just going to kind of introduce this theme to to students and to start small and then if you're open to learning from your kids you'll get a ton of stuff as they're doing things so maybe in the Star Wars category you may be like okay everybody wants to build a lightsaber maybe somebody's like well I like Han Solo I don't really like lightsabers is there a way that I could like earn the Millennium Falcon or something like that and then all of a sudden you're like maybe I could do the same thing but change it a little bit and Letting kids know that they, they have an investment in your class is a, is a huge component to that. So starting small, starting from a theme that, that you like, because the more that you like the theme, the more of those cool things that you can figure out. You know, maybe, you know, if you're a Harry Potter fan, maybe you learn a little bit about wand lore. And things like that. So like maybe there are different wands and stuff that kids can earn for different things Um, that you already have built in houses and and things like that. And then you have extra challenges for, you know, maybe in every class you have the four houses and then those that then you have the buildings of a house system that you're working with from there. But you're using things that, you know, and using uh, your your background knowledge to kind of add in things. So that would be my advice.
0: So what, um, so you build all this, what tools and resources do you utilize for, for your system, you know, cause you're building, you're building cards, you're making badges, you're organizing all of this mm-hmm. content and all the story. And so what, what tools and resources are you utilizing
3: for this? Okay. Um, I,
2: <laughs> let's I stretch you. it.
3: Yeah. My, 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 toolbox, I feel like grows exponentially. Uh, every year I, I see something new and I'm like, Oh, that is cool. I need that new shiny thing. Um, and, and a lot of times I don't even use it as a new shiny thing. It's just, Hey, I want to drop this in. So, I mean, I think in terms of like basic stuff, I, I am a Google person. So if it, it's yeah. Google sites is where I've built my website for my game. Um, Google uh, everything in terms of the database is was purchased through Michael Matera's website, but it's because he did all the coding for it, but it's very much um, uh, just a Google sheets uh, spreadsheet, Uh, Google forms, um, everything like that for it. And then if I'm going to create items, I use uh, mtgcardsmith.com. It's a website for creating magic, the gathering custom cards. But it's amazing how you can turn something entirely nerdy into something entirely teacher nerdy oh, in yes. the space of a few seconds, um, and so I've kind of built out my items that way, um, and using uh, some of the, those Google products. And that's really where a lot of my stuff comes from is is just that it's it's not it's not necessarily something like a Nearpod or, or an Ed Puzzle, although I do think those things have their place. Um, but you know, for me, Google does so much in, in such a very user-friendly way that I use a lot of their products for uh, so many of my elements.
2: And I would agree. A lot of my stuff is is the same. I also have a Google site that I use and Google sites does amazing syncing up to all of the kind of Google products and, and everything. So uh, Google sites is where... Students can go to see all of their stuff. The leaderboard is posted there. All of the units are posted there where they get all their information. Um, you could do, I, I do a lot with um, Google slides as well to do um, like uh, for mine, the, the first setup for every unit is called the mission profile. And then uh, they have their like full mission objectives that they go through and um, And then they do debriefing and all of that. So that's kind of another one of those theme things, I guess, not to get like to go back a little bit, but sometimes it's amazing when you do a theme that then it changes around that stuff where it's not an assignment, it's a mission. And, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a unit, it's an operation. Just like how you know they had operation desert storm now it's you know and and that's i've been working on doing different fun code names where you know you have like you know operation purple thunder and, and things like this where, where students can kind of like get into the lore of that a little bit more but all that stuff is on google Slides. Uh, google sheets is where um and i use the matera database as well and that is a way that you keep track of kids like Experience points, their badges, things like that. Um, it's a very easy system. You can try, and if you're going to start slow and whatever, you can work to develop your own. And then that way you can kind of keep it um, sort of low key so that all you're doing is really just kind of taking an assignment, giving experience points, and, and sending that off if that's what kind of helps you get started. I know that like Classcraft works very much the same way. If you're interested in something like that, Classcraft is a built in system where Experience points, gold, armor, pets. Um, they have uh, maps for all of their um, assignments that you can do and students get, so it's kind of a one-stop shop that way. I started doing that. Um, and then after a couple of years, I was ready to spread my wings and, and do something else. But um, Classcraft is an easy start for people that don't necessarily want to do a lot of coding and things like that. Um, but I, am also, yeah, I'm, I'm, a fan of the Google stuff too. It's, um, it's free. It's easy for most folks. It's web based. So you can publish things to the web a lot easier. And then that way you can send out, um, web links to folks and, and it's a lot easier to, to keep things organized. And I do a similar thing when I do items, but I have a I do not exactly know where I found it, but it was a magic, the gathering, but it's like a program. Um, that downloads. And so my cards look like Magic the Gathering cards, just like Ryan, except I jumped on the MTG cardsmith thing a little late. I'd already developed a lot of cards and I was like, ooh, do I want to go back and try and develop the, the number of cards? And so it's just one of those I've, I've never done the plunge. Maybe one of these times over the summer when we all have nothing to do, maybe that's the time that I will <laughs> switch over and do a completely new system. Oh, don't.
0: I'll mention to listeners, um, I've done, I've created a badging program for professional development here in Topeka. And I use Google drawings to create yes. badges. So that's a, you know, if you don't, if you get a little bit intimidated with some of the other image creating Canva and some of those other things and, the, and what you guys mentioned with the magic, the gathering cards, listeners may want to check out, um, uh, Google drawing. And then the other one is um, Flippity, which is a site that really works with Google sheets. They have a, a, they have a leaderboard for badges um, that, that that's what I utilize. So just, you know, trying to get, get other resources out there, but um, yeah, um, Google seems to, you know, everything works together. And so that's kind of a no-brainer to use the whole Google ecosystem uh, when you're creating I say,
3: a, a game changer with Google Drawing that I discovered this year mm-hmm. and that partners so well with Google Sites is um, if you're like me and you like hiding um, side quests and special little things in your website, um, take Google, create a Google Drawing, create the link to whatever the web resource or the thing that you want them to go to in the Google drawing and then embed that image in your Google sites. And it won't look like anything except for just an embedded image. But when the kids hover over it and click on it, instantly okay. can send good it all
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, do you guys do any, and this is a little bit off topic, but do you guys incorporate any
3: digital breakouts in your game, in your games? Yeah, I, I actually just built two into my game this year. Uh, one of them is tied to a, um, uh, taking John Meehan's uh, QR break-in concept, which is how I front load all of my stuff. Uh, my class is, is definitely not a mile-wide, inch-deep uh, kind of history class. We, we spend about two and a half days doing uh, a QR break-in where we grab some information from a lot of different sources and a lot of different activities to look at things like gender issues, economics issues, technology issues, political issues uh, centered around the era that we're studying. And then we do two or three deep dives of some really specific things as their actual assignments. But for that QR break in um, the one, they just did on the age of reform was centered around uh, mystic seaport in Connecticut. And then within that, I created a digital breakout that if they solved all of the clues, they could board a ship headed for uh, Nantucket to learn about uh, Mariah Mitchell um, and uh, the, uh, astronomer. And that was just a side quest. But the the only way you could find that was to do the digital breakout. Uh, I have another one that is a a kind of a trap that I've built in uh, for kids in that same thing uh, for the kids who are like the the hyper clickers who loved clicking on every image that comes up. There's one where a character, um, George McHale from the the last Indiana Jones film, who's a double agent in the movie, um, tricks them if they click on this Uh, if they follow him and then they click on this book on a Google slide uh, that he says he he thinks he found something, it sends them into another Google sites that's a digital breakout of the Salem Witch Trials. And they cannot go back to the break-in until they complete that digital breakout. So it's a frustrating thing for those kids who love to click on everything. um, And then they're like, oh man, but now our group can't finish the break-in as fast as these other groups and we might fall behind. We might not get the big reward for being first to complete the break-in. And so it it creates that little competitive element uh, for them. In fact, I had students beta test that uh, just uh, this year, this group, and they loved it. And one of them suggested, well, what if at the end of that Salem witch trials, one, you you've kidnapped George McHale? And I said, but if you kidnap him, then I can't use him later. And I said, and he might be good for you later. So I, trying to help them understand that, yeah, they had a great idea. And I was already kind of thinking a little bit ahead of that. And they were like, oh, so some, he might help you or he might hurt you and you'll never know. I'm like, yes. And they're like, that is awesome and evil. And I said, That's exactly the point that that
2: was the fun of it. And I know that I've done a couple of um, these breakout rooms as well. In fact, the uh, students hunt for the winter soldier involved that a lot where they had to decipher um They had to use things like pig pen ciphers and decipher where around the North American continent, the winter soldier was going. And then once you got a code, then it would take you to a different area that then you could go onto the map and you could go to this specific location and you could find it. And so, um, and I try to build in, um, a lot of those, since I do those for geography, I do a little bit in geography. And then I try to do more in, um, Like kansas history when we do things like the civil war trying to do civil war breakouts and and things like that when they become agents of shield and then um kang the conqueror will transport them back in time and then they'll have to recover the infinity stones to build up their own personal infinity weapon that there's a card that they get that is their name that's theirs forever um, and then that will build them up to the final battle with Thanos to come back to the present.
1: So much fun. <laughs> Just picture being in your, your classrooms and experiencing this. Um, as COVID has come and adjusted you know, how we present material, have, have you found that this has been adjustable to the different situations
2: I I would say so. Um, I know that um, because a lot of the stuff, uh, I know that Ryan and I have talked about our classes many times before, but as especially all of this early stuff, a lot of the stuff uh, that um, I know I've been designing as well has been very self-paced. And so because of that, kids are kind of working through and completing different stuff. And so maybe there are five objectives in the mission profile and I've set, you know, the first two to be done today, but then I'll have kids saying, hey, I'm done. Can I have objective number three? Sure, absolutely. And you let them kind of march on the path on their own. But then if you have somebody that's um, absent, then they can work on that at their own pace and they can work on it in their own time. So the the technology has kind of supported that type of um, learning and gameplay. So I've found that it has been pretty adaptable to the situation we're in
1: now.
3: Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I mean, I spent a lot of time front-loading this. I kind of was, I'm just a hyper planner and I'm like, all right, right, what is the what is the likely scenarios? How does this work? What can I build so I don't have to consider creating three different possible environments for fully in-person, hybrid, or remote? What will work for all three? And so like my QR break-ins normally were just, I mean... John Meehan, will tell you, they're just Montessori station rotations. That's literally all they are. Um, But they would normally be placed around the room. So I said, okay, let's just create a page on the website where there's just links to those eight stations. And then the kids all work at it. They always worked at their own pace. Anyway, they just worked as in a squad. Well, now they kind of have to collaborate a little bit. I think Mm -hmm. that element is probably the hardest to replicate um, in a remote setting is the collaborative nature Um, that gamification often provides. Um, But again, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, relationship building and and setting norms and and procedures and routines and getting kids to engage with each other and and learn how to have those conversations with each other. And um, it it, it starts to happen. You know, right now we're kind of in that mode and I'm starting to see a lot more communication of kids. When I jump into breakout rooms, I see kids having conversations with each other, collaborating on documents together, Um, you know, those kinds of things are, are awesome. And, you know, I've got one student who's, you know, he's very much, he's very much a socially awkward kid, um, last year and, and then anticipating that this year, you know, a lot of kids maybe didn't necessarily want to work with him because he was so socially awkward, but the group he works with now, he's still that same kid but his awkwardness comes across as enthusiasm for the game. And all of a sudden he's hooked two other people in to his enthusiasm. And that's really where the magic starts to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. We've, we've asked this question to each um, person that's participated in the podcast, but still COVID related Um, something that you would take away from this time of teaching that you would continue forward and, and into regular normal times potentially, something you've learned, something you've done that you would continue on?
3: I think the the biggest thing I've taken away from this and, and my wife who is a huge, who's a, an IT person would have reminded me of this, I don't know how many times, the fewer clicks, the better. Yeah. And as I'm discovering this, it, it's one thing when you've got a few extra clicks but everybody's in person so you can kind of help talk a kid through it it's another thing when you're trying to do that via video uh, conferencing. And that I think is the biggest thing is how do I streamline that? I mean, there's even elements I'm like working through flow charts on my own, like sketching out flow charts of how do I make this as few clicks as possible and still preserve enough of the theme to make it happen. So I try to find, is this an extra click or is this a necessary click? And that's a thing I'm going to always take away from it. Cause if I can streamline that and pare it down, the game becomes more immersive and rich because kids don't get lost in the weeds of trying to figure out where to go.
2: Yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that too. Making sure that that students have access and, and knowing that, um, you know, right now you have kids that are, are learning in this, this different environment and knowing that, um, having things self-paced. I think I have switched a lot more to that this year than uh, I have in the past. And that's definitely something that I would like to keep. And I know Ryan kind of mentioned it earlier, which is also allowing students to go back and fix things, I think is also another one of those big things too. And I think that um, allowing more of those retries to, to, get those higher stars and and things like that sometimes it's for a grade but even sometimes kids want to do better in your class and so if we stick to that kind of old regime of you know never allowing things to be turned in late one time is done um sometimes people need some other things sometimes people need some other tries in in order to help and some more opportunities to demonstrate what they're learning. And that's what I think this gamified system really lets students do because sometimes students can also get hung up on things based on your subject. I've had a lot of people that will, you know, come in and say, "Ugh, I don't like history. Oh, that's like, not one of my subjects and whatever. And in the end, they're like, Oh my gosh, like this is great. Like, and I'm totally, it's, it's like, it's because you kind of use that theme to kind of get them into the door and get them, It reduces a lot of that stress and it makes students feel kind of comfortable because if they're not a history person, they have gamed before. I mean, a majority of our folks have. And so you even get I know that for me and Marvel, some folks are like, oh, man, I know all about the Marvel movies. So when they're getting ready to take a test and they see the winter soldier up there. Oh man, I will have kids that are like, oh yes, that is Sergeant James Buchanan Barnes. He was born on this and such day. And this is his, and his power is this augmented adamantium, vibranium hybrid arm. And I was like, you did memorize the stuff, right? Like you knew the subject too. And yet at the same time, like that part, knowing that fires them up and it reduces that stress and anxiety that they have for the test because they're like, I'm not doing a test. I'm fighting the winter soldier. That's what I'm doing. And they don't know. It's like, yeah, but you're doing it by doing a test. I keep that on the down low. I don't tell them that like I let them discover that on their own, but, um, it, a lot of those things sometimes how we frame stuff is, I guess also a very important thing as well during this time and in the future.
0: Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for coming on and being guests on the podcast. Um, Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter?
3: Uh, So you can find me uh, at Coach underscore Stevens. That's spelled S-T-E-P-H-A-N-S. I also host a podcast that I'm going to shamelessly plug right now um, called uh, uh, Awe Inspired. Uh, It's a podcast all about uh, adventurous, wondrous, and empowered uh, learning. Uh, It's inspired by students and teachers Uh, And I also uh, have a blog at uh, summitseeking.com as well.
2: Jordan? Okay. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Billings Class. It's all together, Mr. Billings Class. I also have an Instagram to follow too. Um, I as well have a podcast that I will also shamefully plug. Um, It is called Teacher Pop. And it is where teachers will take a pop culture subject, anything from uh, Indiana Jones, the Gilmore Girls, uh, moving up into the Mandalorian. And in a couple of weeks, there's a Hamilton episode that will be coming out. Um, But we look at the um, pop culture subject, and then we bring it into lessons that we can learn as teachers.
0: Awesome. Well, again, thank you, gentlemen, for for joining us. Uh, Just remind everybody that A lot of the, most of the resources that you, that were mentioned today will be on the show notes, which is on the the episode page and all those links will be out there for you to follow. So again, Ryan, thank you. Jordan, thank you. And we'll um, see everybody next time. Thanks.